Katarina Sergatsova is founder, journalist, entrepreneur, and is running safety organizations. She's an expert in the resilience of society, especially under duress and at times of war. She has also written extensively for various publications, given interviews to uh, New York Times, LA Times, Foreign Affairs, Guardian, Wilson Center, and so on. But I will allow her to introduce herself in a minute. Before we do that, just a quick reminder, do check out the verified Ukrainian charities that we now list in all our videos. They're doing fantastic work rehabilitating veterans. Many of those veterans go back to the front as trainers, deminers, and so on. Um, and we have other charities there. One's, for instance, Harp, which is rebuilding homes, dwellings around Kharkiv that have been devastated by the Russian invasion. So please check those out. Please do help. Um, and if you're interested in things like drones and so on, then do get in contact. We can put you in touch with people who know where the best sources of that kind of funding are to make a real difference. Serena, welcome to the channel. Hi. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Now, I know that you've, it, it's great to have you here. And uh, when I read your profile, this idea of civic resilience, especially under duress, uh, really jumped out at me because we talk a lot about civil society. We've spoken to a lot of people who were very prominent in uh, the Revolution of Bigotsi in Maidan, which is coming up for the 10th anniversary, as well as the second anniversary of the full-scale invasion. But this idea of civic resilience uh, in times of sort of crisis really kind of was, uh, you know, appealing to me. Could you give us a bit of a description of what it is you actually do uh, and, and what this idea of... Uh, so civic civic resilience is. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you, thank you so much for for asking that because um, when when the invasion started uh, back in two thousand twenty two, um, I and my colleagues, uh, who are journalists, uh, we we kind of realized that um, most of the population in Ukraine do not know uh, the basics of safety. Uh, for instance, how to um, how to put a tourniquet on you uh, if you're bleeding. Uh, and it's the, the kind of a crucial information uh, when you live in the war zone. Uh, if you don't know how to, how to deal with that, uh, you could just simply die uh, on the street. Uh, so we started uh, designing a program of trainings uh, to teach people how to survive um, the the war, and you know, sharing. Uh, like we have many many challenges, right? Uh, to um, to deal with uh, during the war. So um, the the thing is that um, uh, if you if you live in the war zone, or even in Kiev or Lviv, which is far away from the actual front line. But it is still uh, a war zone. Uh, we have drones attacks, uh, rocket attacks, daily. Uh, it's on a daily basis. Um, you have to you have to know how to uh, how to help um, people around you uh, to survive uh, and to help yourself. Uh, you need to know uh, what is a march protocol, uh, for example. It is not easy. Uh, it's it's pretty hard to learn it. Uh, so you 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 must you must do that uh, like you know on a regular basis, just learning things like that, uh, just to make sure that if you uh, if you end up in the extremely 
uh, hard situation, you'll be able to to do something at least, at least try. Um, yeah, so it's one thing. Another thing is the risk assessment, uh, which you you know the, this this term you you can hear uh from the um, insurance companies uh, for example uh they do risk assessment they need risk assessment uh but actually when you live in a hostile environment uh it's what we call it it could be the war it could be a uh, uh you know the, the country under dictatorship or also on and so forth uh a risk assessment is a basic uh thing that you need to know uh because it's into your life, you need to know uh, what could happen next, uh, how you can um, how you can uh, mitigate these risks, right? How you can overcome some challenges, uh, and if every um, I would not say everyone in the country, but at least you know every fifth citizen uh, in the country in a hostile environment knows these basics and can uh, mitigate the risks uh, and can assess the risk around him. Uh, it makes the, the whole society much more resilient uh, because people have this common knowledge on the basics of safety. Um, does it make sense? <laughs> it makes absolute sense. And I wonder as well that a key part that goes underreported is trust, of course, trust between people, because part of the resilience, part of the, I dare say, sort of optimism, uh, you have to be able to believe that the people around you have uh, collective interests at heart, you know, not just their own interests or their interests of their individual family. There's got to be a, a concept of society, and there has to be a high degree of trust between individuals. That, of course, is it's difficult in wartime, but at the same time, there's also that existential pressure for people to, to trust each other more. Um, and this is the fundamental, now I said we weren't gonna to talk too much about Russia, but one of the fundamental problems in any kind of uh, resistance or resilience, I think in Russia, is the extremely low level of societal trust. Um, and beyond the bounds of family, um, very low level of trust, even between sort of colleagues, and and uh, and, and and so on. Um, so, what what makes that difference in Ukraine, and how important is trust in in, in bringing this all together? Uh, well, in in any um, you know, uh, trust is 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 the, is basically the the uh, the kind of things that make that that makes relationship between people uh established uh so th this is a kind of a core core value for relation for good relationship uh it is trust and i i wouldn't say that uh we have um a lot of trust uh in ukraine uh but it is definitely the the level of trust is much more than um in russia or belarus or you know uh, any other um, uh, country with uh, dictatorship, because dictators uh, or, or fascists, if we're talking about Putin, uh, they they kind of they 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 like to uh, to divide people, 
and make them, uh, you know, disbelieve in uh, each other's efforts. Um, and I've been living in Russia for many years uh, when, when I was young. Uh, and I remember very well uh, that people uh, could not do anything voluntarily uh, or something, you know, that like, we 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 know very well in the West and in America and in Great Britain um, when people uh, do things together uh, for a great cause, uh, for climate change. I don't know for uh, um, for equality, for LGBT community, um, any you know many many different things we can do together to to make the world uh, a better place, uh, but. Uh, back then, um, in in Russia, uh, I just realized that people um, can't interact properly uh, with each other because they they don't have this this trust and they don't have this sense of community uh, at all. And this is this is very um, uh, I would say definitive um, thing to to understand what what kind of uh it's russia russian society and why they 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 cannot uh, resist the the war against ukraine i guess because they don't feel it like it is something uh truly important because they they actually don't trust um anyone except propaganda maybe well, this uh, is a fascinating story i read this a couple of weeks ago and that was uh, a sort of, I call it a manifestation of civic society, but it's not great. But you had individuals in Russia who were trying to, I would say, copy or reproduce the, what we see in Ukraine, which was crowdfunding for equipment, drones, etc. Now, we know in Ukraine that that has huge support both within and outside of the country. There are people who are in the diaspora who are very active uh, there. But what happened in Russia is that those organizations were viewed with suspicion by the authorities. And rather than encouraging and supporting, they actually obviously tried to penetrate those organizations, even shut them down, despite the fact that it was, you know, patriotic Russians trying to support their war effort. I mean, that is entirely misguided, we know. But I see that as a sort of manifestation of, of a kind of, uh, you know, action. Um, and action and politicization is interesting in the Russian con uh, concept because it is, you know, it has been destroyed and purposefully destroyed to such an extent. Um, so that, that, that behavior of the state that you just mentioned there, I think, is crucial. How does that relate back to yours? I mean, are, is your organization state-funded? Uh, is it like many initiatives, uh, a sort of private initiative, privately funded? And do Ukrainians, does their level of trust and engagement differ if they're dealing with a state-run organization versus one of the many, many sort of private initiatives? Yeah, um, well, if, if, if talking about the, um, the trust in uh, government initiatives, uh, it really depends. It depends on the on the certain ministry of the uh, of the certain direction of of these uh, initiatives. Like what kind of initiative is that? Uh, and sometimes uh, it can be uh, um, kind of a joint efforts uh, between between government, uh, some business, and civil society organizations. Uh, so 
and this is some something that really um, that that I really like because the, it means that people can cooperate for for the for the good cause, and they 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 trust the idea that unites them, and not the certain politics. I mean, politicians or um, you know governors. Uh, and this is this is really a good thing about Ukraine, I would say. Um, and uh, going back to to, the, to your question uh, about our foundation, it is not state funded. Uh, we established our twenty four two foundation um, just in the first days of the invasion, uh, and we collected donations um, from from across the globe. Basically, so many people uh, supported us, uh, and it it gave us also you know this push to uh, um, uh, to develop. Um, more sustainable uh, programs to because we started from delivering uh, bulletproof vests and helmets to journalists uh, because that was the the first response uh, on the invasion. Um, thousands of journalists uh, became war correspondents and they didn't know what to do and how to protect themselves. And then we started. Um, creating the uh, safety programs and trainings and and so on and so forth. And now we have established so many um, different uh, training programs uh, and continue doing that with support of donors. Uh, our um, uh, you know donations. Uh, we still have uh, many donations, but not so many as uh, in the beginning, uh, which is understandable. Um, yeah. Um, and um i can say that if if uh, if the government would like to support some of the uh, you know uh, developments of the foundation i would be happy because this is something that we really uh want to implement the safety culture to integrate it uh on a different levels everywhere because it's the basics people people must learn it uh, like people learn first aid response uh, in the schools in Israel or uh, in Korea or other countries that are, you know, in the war for for ages. Uh, and unfortunately, Ukraine in this kind of situations, the world will not end tomorrow, will not end in, in one year. Uh, and and now we have the, the wars uh situation on the front lines uh so this is what people really need now and basically they i mean they needed it 10 years ago when russia just started the invasion from crimea and donbass and that was going to be my next question actually was about this i mean a lot of people still in the press and in their minds uh, are thinking of this as the second anniversary which of course it is of the full-scale war and of course a lot more Ukrainians have been involved in experiencing war at first hand uh, and the terror and demands of that. But of course, this war has been going on for 10 full years. Over that period, how do you see the resilience of Ukraine changing? Not just the civic resilience, but as you say, also the organizations that are designed to support the army, training, uh, you know, awareness of, of what to do in a variety of situations. How's it evolved and developed? Um, before the uh, before the annexation of Crimea, before 2014, uh, there were lots of different kinds of civil society organizations, thousands of them, basically. Uh, 
they they were mainly focused on reforms, uh, on tackling corruption, on uh, some um, political diversity, uh, LGBTQ rights and equality. Um, so many important things. Um, and I guess this was the the really good base for the for the further developments uh, when the invasion started. Uh, and basically the Maidan or or revolution of dignity. Uh, it was based on on these organizations that united uh, for uh, for the you know uh, in order to uh, to resist to some uh, pro-Russian developments. Or I would say, uh, I mean, we were about to 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 become you know Russian colony uh, like <laughs> full 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 scale. Uh, so yeah, uh, we we had. We had many lessons learned uh, even be before 20, uh, 2014. And then, of course, we uh, we got new uh, new challenges and new lessons uh, because we didn't pay attention on, on our army. So that was a really big question, like how to how to do that, how to reform the army, how to make it stronger than Russian army, which is, you know, one of the biggest army in, in the world and one of the strongest and nuclear power. And, you know, you can just count so many different challenges that, that can, uh, uh, yeah. And, and and then just people started doing that. Um, uh, there became uh, many uh, volunteer organizations that started uh, feeding the army, uh, actually feeding them, you know, <laughs> sending the the food to the front lines because there, there was lack of uh, normal food uh, in the Ukrainian army back then. Uh, and then, you know, we 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 made um, a pretty good um, you know development uh, from the uh, from these organizations. Uh, so when the when the invasion started, uh, I think Ukraine was prepared even better than one could imagine. And the uh, the fact that uh, Russian army retreated from from Kiev uh, and outskirts uh, in the first month of the invasion, it tells a lot about that uh, that that we kind of we were able to to do that. And of course, it was it was done. Um, uh, not only because of the uh, military experience of of, uh, of Ukrainian citizens, but also um, because of the uh, their their morale uh, was very high, and we had lots of support uh, from across the globe. Uh, so the the motivation to to resist uh, was very high. Uh, and unfortunately, now uh, I just see that uh, that we uh, we have this lack of support, and it means that uh, the the morale is not that good as as it was before. And how's that affecting? Because of course, you know, amongst the pro-Ukrainian bubble, uh, there are still many hundreds, many thousands of people who. Uh, you know, talk and think about Ukraine every every minute of every day, and they push for more armaments. 
But of course, the mood, as you say, has changed uh, amongst the diaspora. Uh, of course, people will be hearing from relatives and friends who are still there. Almost everybody will know somebody who is serving in some capacity uh, in civic society or on the front. Um, so th this this mood is something that you cannot escape, and, and we don't want to pretend it isn't there. There is a degree of negativity, isn't there? But at the same time, there are extraordinary wins which which don't get covered so much by the press. So uh, Ukraine's dominance of the Black Sea Fleet is an extraordinary achievement. The fact that exports of grain have largely um, reached their pre-war levels, which is incredible for the economy. The fact that energy infrastructure has been barely touched this winter are massive failures of Russian aggression. So it's important to balance the, the sort of achievements with the negativity. Uh, I get it. Uh, I mean, uh, what you said, uh, it is a, a really great achievement. I believe that. But at the same time, um, you know, we, we sometimes uh, between, you know, friends and colleagues, we, uh, uh, we, we, we've been to many uh, different uh, locations uh, along the front line. For example, Avdiivka or Mariupol or other cities that are actually on the front lines uh, and you just realize that the fact that Russia uh, didn't shell that bad uh, this winter on Kiev uh, or Lviv is because they they just they, they were busy destroying another cities and that's the, the, the saddest part for me because you just realize that Avdivka is it, it, it doesn't exist anymore as a city uh, and it hurts um, and and of course uh, these Ukrainian soldiers and officers uh, who have been there who defended the, the city and then retreated uh, from there um, they yeah I mean they um, they are in a pretty dark mood because of that uh, so this you know I think what we have now uh, is uh, some some really good development uh, in in the country and the sea. You know, uh, even uh, something in economy. So we have these small achievements, but overall uh, we have really really hard situation um, that that can. I mean, Russia will not stop there right they they now in a really good mood right because they they have the um achievements uh in the east of ukraine so they would go further and they i mean pretty sure uh they know that that we are lack of ammunition and weapon uh and and we we don't you know we don't know uh, what will happen in the next few months. So of course, of course, people discuss that. Uh, it's you know, it's kind of a everyday talking. Like, what will happen next? Okay, to today we we uh, I don't know. Um, we were able to uh, to shell at certain positions of Russians and destroy some uh, important uh, warehouses or whatever. Uh, but is it is it relevant for you know in terms of the uh, the scale of uh, of the situation overall? Uh, 
So yeah, I think the mood is kind of kind of that is swinging every day. And, and, and with I, the I'm news cycles happy. as well, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not happy to to, to say that. I, I, I just try to, to be honest and just to, to warn maybe, you know, some people that uh, that can think that it is not so bad. Maybe maybe it will it will be fine tomorrow. You know, it's like with, uh, you know, where when um, when you're getting uh, sick of some virus, you think that uh, tomorrow will be better. But tomorrow uh, like uh, you are not getting better it's and you have to take worse. steps i think it's important to yeah. know the negative because it's important to put pressure on politicians important to make them understand that uh nothing is certain here and that they need to plan for success not just hope for success i think that that's incredibly important and um Coming back to the sort of civil society and resistance, because of course people are also very, t not just tired, absolutely exhausted, but yeah. many still carry on. Many of the people I follow are still volunteering in multiple organisations, doing all sorts of stuff, which is incredible. Now, when it comes to occupied territories, so we see this flowering of civic society, organizations doing various things in the countering disinformation space. Again, Ukraine is a world leader, unfortunately has had to be in building you know, innovation and resilience uh, in the information space. In occupied territories, the thing that people most often talk about is the obvious stuff, um, you know, the abduction, the torture, etc. But when Russia took over these territories, what did it do to dismantle civic society because you know there would have been organizations in Donetsk there would have been many civic society organizations in Donetsk and Luhansk how did Russia sort of dismantle and then discourage um the kind of active citizenry that say led to led to Maidan and led to this you know creation of this extraordinary thing called uh, you know Ukrainian civic society Oh, well, they torture people. That's the answer. They torture people. They uh, they go after them to the apartment, to to the place where they hide. And they just get them uh, and they put them in prisons uh, or in some secret places. And they torture them. Uh, and other people, uh, active citizens, they see that and they just flee them the hometown that's kind of a yeah the i mean everyone understand that when russia uh, come to come to your house you just you you must you know you must run uh because they will kill you or torture you or imprison you it's only three options which is mm -hmm. kind of the same and do they specifically do we know uh, whether they specifically create lists of people who are active in yes. local administration, government, army, civic society, especially? Yeah, yeah, they're really good at uh, intelligence. So they they have this list of journalists, of uh, NGOs, or active citizens, uh, or uh, you know local councils members. Uh, Everyone who somehow is active uh, in social media or in a, you know a real world actions, 
um yeah they know everything uh about us or almost everything uh so that's why you know we in our organization uh we we often um uh, kind of talk about this uh these risks uh, what if um russia will will come to territory of your uh, town or uh, your region what you would do uh how how you would you know prevent the, the risks of um of imprisonment or you know this is kind of a, also the uh almost daily talks of um active citizens in ukraine not not pleasant topic actually it's terrifying of course it is and and we've seen um we've seen writers musicians and so on who who were killed of course under russian occupation um so it extends to culture i assume as well and people who are active in that um let's turn to uh we'll, we'll have one question i think about sort of russia but it also relates back to ukraine and then we'll we'll finish up obviously on ukraine and we'll, uh, around the anniversary of maidan and the demonstrations that are happening. But this question about Russia, and we were talking before we hit record, and I think, again, there's a narrative in the media, uh, and it's a very simplistic interpretation, that Putin killed Navalny because he's afraid, he's worried, he's weak, etc. That's not my interpretation of the situation. It seems to me that he's doing this now because he has total impunity, because he realizes there's going to be no serious pushback from the West and its allies. And there is no one who can hold him to account for his crimes, either externally or internally within Russia. From your perspective, isn't that an incredibly dangerous situation? Because you talked about the mood amongst propagandists and the Kremlin being more positive now. When the Kremlin is positive, that almost always translates into violence and often into things that were very bad at predicting, um, like, for instance, the, 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 the trouble in the Middle East. Um, it translates into events that change the narrative and very much threaten and challenge uh, the international rules-based order or challenge Ukraine, et cetera. So what's your view here about the sort of the dangerous point in the situation where we are and the danger of underestimating Putin and what he's capable of. I don't. I don't think that that uh, the world underestimates Putin. I think they are too afraid of him, basically, uh, because I remember very well uh, when um, uh, the U.S. President Barack Obama, uh, Barack Obama, uh, said uh, just after the um, uh, annexation of Crimea uh, that uh, we will not fight a war uh, against Russia. This is not our intention. Uh, and he said so because he, he actually was afraid of um, of him and of the war with, with Russia, which of course uh, can, I mean, it is terrifying um, to Western leaders, uh, but in Ukraine, we actually are <laughs> fighting uh, the war um, with, with Russia for for ten years, uh, and it is kind of a uh, in it is routine uh, already in in some way, uh, and and uh, people who are who are fighting in the front lines they are not afraid of Putin, 
and they're not afraid of Russia. They're just afraid uh, of um, of being killed for just for nothing, you know. Uh, because if if we'll stop here, Russia will not stop. They they will go further. They will occupy other cities. Uh, the just just recently, uh, Medvedev, uh, who's a uh, right or left hand of Putin uh, said that um, that their main purpose is Kiev, so uh, it is still their the goal. Uh, so yeah, uh, I mean there there is there is no time left to to be afraid of uh, of Putin. Uh, it is time to be realistic. Because he can do whatever he he wants to do. He can kill opposition leader, uh, but uh, it's also important to to remember that that before he killed him, uh, he got him into prison. That was the reason why he was able to kill him. So you know this. I think it is it is uh, it is good if we can. Um, uh, if we can just look at the situation, not from the view of some uh, from ideological concept, but to 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 look into that as a certain steps is a kind of a um, you know look this this is how it works. This is how dictatorship uh, works. Uh, they do this and that, and. And after these steps, we got this, uh, and it means that we need to uh, to to kind of uh, you know do certain uh, steps to prevent it, or at least do something with the consequences. Uh, and maybe uh, maybe it it seems um, uh, too simple to to say, but actually uh, this really works when you when you understand what you can actually do to prevent things like uh the invasion uh and and when you can plan when when you have this strategy on what we can do in the long term period uh, to uh, to win the war uh you have much more chances to win the war <laughs> if you if you understand what i mean uh because uh, we, we have this two years of uh of full-scale war, uh, and we still do not have um, any proper strategy in the West. Uh, we have strategy in Ukraine, but I would say it's it's kind of a, too broad for me, but still, we have it. Uh, we, we can work with that. Uh, but the lack of trust, as you mentioned before, uh, is crucial, uh, because not everyone in the Western leadership believe that this Ukrainian strategy would work because they they kind of used to treat Ukraine as a um, not really intellectual state uh, right uh, it's kind of a you know so so world state um, which is not you know which is do do not have the um it's not a, you know a subject of uh mm. world politics uh yeah well, take, but uh, the if, thing is that yeah. 
Yeah. If you if you take the reports yeah, around, say transparency of uh, institutions, uh, Ukraine scores higher than Hungary, for instance, quite a bit higher. So that's an unfortunate impression, isn't it, of of Ukraine as somehow uh, you know not uh, not yet at a European level or not necessarily a, a European state. I think above all, Maidan events around it, the development of civic society that you've been talking about are a clear demonstration that not only is Ukraine very much a part of Europe, but in some respects is actually leading the way in innovation around civic society, in the information space, the cyberspace, technology. There's, there's a whole long list of things where Ukraine is a leader rather than behind. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. We have so many... Uh, we, we have so many... Uh, you know, people with uh, with bright ideas, uh, and you can see them all over the world. Uh, 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 but this is kind of a natural uh, reaction uh, when you don't when when you don't have a connection uh, to to the group of other people. Uh, you never been to Ukraine. You never spoke with Ukrainians. You never, you know, kind of you. You didn't have any connections. Uh, then you don't have a trust. You don't have a reason to to believe uh, what these people say. And the state propaganda in Russia, uh, in other countries, um, in China, for example. Uh, um, it, it has this influence on on these people who who don't have these connections, because they they just they don't trust and they don't have a, a reason and they have this propaganda that teach them that uh, that Ukrainians are fascists or whatever. The last question really relates to I think the cause uh, of the full scale war and uh, of course what's coming up over the weekend. Uh, many demonstrations. Uh, around the world, uh, there'll be a huge one in London in support of Ukraine, but we're coming up to the terrible second anniversary of the war. We're also in the 10th anniversary of Maidan. Of course, the Russian narratives are that this was NATO's fault, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, we already know those narratives inside out. But actually, in his recent appalling interview, I mean, not so much an interview, more of a, a monologue, um, with Tucker Carlson, Putin, I think, gave away... Um, a, a truth, uh, and he said that it was uh, it was it was my dad. It was twenty thirteen that really was the cause of the war. Uh, it's the trigger. Twenty fourteen. It's it's twenty thirteen and then twenty fourteen. It's it's really the reason Russia went to war, which is to try to crush the extraordinary manifestation of sort of freedom and uh, uh, you know civilian power to push back autocracy. Do you, do you think that's accurate? And should we be celebrating Maidan, perhaps rather loudly in the West? Because this is this is very much something that we, we could perhaps learn from. No, absolutely. Uh, Maidan was a trigger for Putin, uh, and no doubt it was. Um, but actually, um, uh, if... If you if you read um, interviews of Putin uh, or books about the um, uh, the previous years, 
uh, of him. Uh, so you you would see that the the first trigger for him was the uh, Maidan in two thousand and four. Uh, it is the year when he wanted Viktor Yanukovych uh, to win the presidential elections, uh, and that was the the main um, uh, competition between uh, Russia and the West uh, in the Ukrainian politics. Uh, and Yanukovych basically won the elections, uh, but with um, many violations. So people went to the streets and uh, and made him Maidan. And basically uh, the, the Western concept uh, won um, at, at that moment. Uh, so that was a starting point uh, for, for Putin and, and Kremlin, you know, overall. Uh, they started working on the, you know, technologies uh, uh, to uh, to take over Ukraine. And of course, it, it doesn't mean that, uh, that that society shouldn't have done this, right? Uh, because uh, um, I don't know if, if you or your audience have ever been to to Ukraine or Kiev or, or or Maidan in 2013 and 14, but that was incredible uh, space. Uh, that was incredible event uh, when you when you when you when you've been there um, uh, at the Maidan Square, you just felt like like you are in the heart of history. That is just you know it's uh, it's creating uh, right now uh and and people uh were so um they were so 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 friendly so um you know so thoughtful uh and they had so many so many uh great ideas and they shared it with each other and this this was on just a small square in the center of the city um and you would never wish to to trade it for something else. Never. So we we don't have uh, you know any any thoughts of uh, you know just um, it would it would be better to Maidan not happen. No, no. Uh, I, I think most of the Ukrainians who've been there they realize that this is something we are fighting for. This is freedom itself um that's why we still have this uh courage to fight even though it's really really hard that's an incredibly important place to end i think unfortunately i didn't go to maidan i you know in hindsight it would have been extraordinary to be there i don't think the significance of it was clearly articulated in the media at the time uh the deep significance not just the sort of superficial you know what's happening day to day um, and I think even now, it's importance in European history, uh, importance in history of democracy is underestimated. But I believe that uh, history will will reset that and will will you know, really examine it in a lot of detail. It's an epoch making event. I have been to Ukraine. I came in August last year to run an event uh, that was just um, in Lviv. But again, I, I'm, I'm very keen to see a lot more uh, of Ukraine and see a lot more of that resilience in wartime. So that there is a plan to come back later this year and come to Kiev for the first time. Um, and uh, But speaking to people who are involved 
in Maidan and who who that was almost the spark of their political consciousness, uh, like the lifting of a veil in some have described it as. Uh, it, it's an incredibly moving hearing those kind of testimonies. And as you say, seeing people who are now organizing, working, and that's the root of it all. 10 years ago is the root of activity that is still playing out now and that sort of solidarity. So I mean, it's incredible. Uh, and I'm so pleased you're able to to share those insights with us uh, on, on how that manifests in civic society and resilience. I, I mean, I, I think it's so important um, for people to uh, to be in the place of, of, of the events. And I, I find this um, really great privilege of being journalist uh because you're always kind of uh, uh in in the place where uh some extraordinary um events uh, happen but i think it's also important for 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 everyone uh to see what is actually happening um so i encourage you to to come to kiev or lviv or any other ukrainian cities uh, that are protected um and more or less safe um and yeah, you you would just see uh, that that Ukrainian people are really uh, really great in and you know in their resilience and in their um, in their efforts to uh, you know not only to to fight a war uh, but to to live uh, to create uh, during the war uh, to create something meaningful uh, and important. Uh, I think it's it's uh, something um, about Ukrainians as well that that people really need to to know. That's brilliant. Thanks so much. Um, Thank you. Good luck with all your efforts, Slava Ukraine. Here I'm Slava. Thank you so much. Thank you.